Hello and welcome to another episode of Story Screen Reports, Story Screen's news show where we, I, me, the host, Robbie Anderson, takes the top news stories of the month and I make it into a list and I tell you who told me this story, who, where did they make this story, and then I talk about it with a guest Yes, it's the news show. We talk about all the news in TV, film, entertainment. Story Screen. What is Story Screen? Story Screen is a uh, microblog. Big blog. There's a lot of words you could throw at what Story Screen is. But I like to think of it as a home for people who really like movie stuff to be movie nerds. Uh, I'm one of the biggest movie nerds I know, Robbie Anderson. And I'm joined by... He's... Always a pleasure to have on the podcast, and it's also a very special day for him. It's the birthday boy, Slim Tim Irwin. How are you? Beep, 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 beep. We're here for the news. Here for the news, Tim. How are you doing on this fine birthday? You just turned 18, which is great. I can't wait to buy cigarettes, analog style. (laughs) Can't wait to buy a nice pack of Marlboro Reds. Yeah, like one of what's like the Obama. Uh, the he smoked Reds, I think. Yeah, she. Yeah. Well, no, no, Obama's daughter. She still smokes analog. She still smokes. That's cool. crazy. I love that. Yeah, but he he was smoking bogeys because there's like pictures of him smoking bogeys while he's president. I'm like, hell yeah, dog. I know I would. <laughs> True gang. True. Uh yeah, here we are to talk about the news. Uh, Tim, are you are you excited about this run of show? You obviously got to see what the news stories are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great. I'm excited. I love to talk about the movie news. The movie news, great. All right, well, without further ado, before we get started, uh, we did this for last month's episode, but I just kind of want to bring it up until it's done. Uh, a little bit of strike talk. If you didn't catch last uh, month's episode, fuck you. Uh, thanks for being here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a little bit of strike talk because the uh, WGA Writers Guild of America and uh, SAG-AFTRA, the uh, Screen Actors Guild, are both still on strike. Uh, so, you know, until that is resolved, it's going to be a topic of uh, movie TV news that we are going to continue to talk about. So, you know, the show is going to be a bummer until it's not. Uh, but just to... I like to lay down what the strike is and where we are with it. So uh, a little bit of strike talk. On May 2nd, 2023, the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, went on strike. The WGA represents 11,500 screenwriters. Its strike is over an ongoing labor dispute with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, a.k.a. the AMPTP. On July 14th, 2023, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, dash American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, SAG-AFTRA, joined the WGA in solidarity and began to strike as well. The last time both these unions went on strike was in 1960. Residuals, the streaming model, ownership of one's likeness, corporate greed, and the regulation of artificial intelligence are all on the table. If you want to help striking actors and writers, donate to the Entertainment Community Fund, a link that we will provide in the description. So a little bit of strike talk just to lay the groundwork. Because we are going to break into it with story number one, Walt Disney Pictures VFX workers move to unionize. This story is written by Jazz Tenke. That's a very cool uh, name at Variety. 
Visual effects crews at Walt Disney Studios have taken a significant step to unionize after filing with the National Labor Relations Board for an election to unionize. A supermajority, over 80% of the 18 in-house VFX members at Walt Disney Pictures, signed authorization cards signaling their desire to unionize. The historical move is the second time in history that VFX professionals have joined together to demand the same protections and rights of their colleagues. Earlier this month, VFX crews at Marvel Studios voted to unionize beginning August 21st. Ballots are due on September 11th, and the vote will the vote count will take place on September 12th. International president of IATSE, Matthew Day Loeb, said, quote, The determination of these VFX workers is not just commendable, it's groundbreaking. Their collective action against the status quo represents a seismic shift in this critical moment in our industry. The chorus of voices demanding change is unprecedented and demonstrates our united movement is not and the and demonstrates our united movement is not about any one company, but a set, uh, setting a precedent of dignity, respect, and fairness for all, for all. End quote. Unionizing VFX workers are responsible for creating the VFX across the studio's catalog, which includes Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. VFX workers have remained non-union since the field was pioneered during the production of the first Star Wars films in the 1970s and 80s. As part of the move, unionizing workers are demanding fair compensation for all hours worked, adequate health care, retirement retirement benefits, and, more generally, the same rights and protections afforded to their unionized co-workers, who are already represented by the IATSE, a.k.a. the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. (sighs) My mouth is dry. Tim, (laughs) uh, what uh, you think is probably a good idea that those VFX artists unionize? Yeah, uh, let's point out that uh, it's Labor Day this weekend. It is Labor Day. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that is a good point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, those—they've been getting their asses beat forever. VFX people. Uh, yeah. So good for them. Um, although I noticed that it said eighteen, so that's only the in-house Disney pet staff. Like they—they they farm that all their their VFX stuff out. So how does that work? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think. Uh, because earlier this month, VFX crews at Marvel Studios voted to unionize. So I guess like maybe them actually getting the votes and moving to unionize is kind of like it's good and hopefully is more of like a domino effect. Yeah, that's why for other studios. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Because uh, yeah, I think there's this other article about uh Marvel VFX. This is from two weeks ago. Uh, Marvel VFX artists will vote to unionize. Uh, this is another uh, Variety article. Uh, it's kind of seems like it's the same. Yeah, it's what they mentioned. So like the Marvel one's gonna unionize, and now this other studio is voting to unionize as well. So I think it seems like it's a domino effect of at least like studios in house unionizing under the Disney banner, which is good. But you're right, like um, they contract a lot of that stuff. They contract a lot of them as well. But I mean, this could also you know eventually. Domino and hopefully uh, all all VFX yeah. artists will I mean, if be we able see to like fight ILM, to ILM, as ILM, you, I know like some physical uh, like practical effects shops are union because I know I follow a couple that are union shops, but I don't yeah, know about the most, VFX ones. Yeah, I know even you know before uh, you know obviously VFX and CGI and things of that nature have been in movies for a long long time, but. 
I think it was even like the first scuttlebutt I heard about kind of the bad working conditions of VFX artists was in uh, it was was it Life of Pi? That's the movie mm-hmm. with the tiger, mm-hmm. the CGI tiger. Mm-hmm. And I remember like they got kind of like shafted uh, even after that movie, like won an Academy Award. They like either weren't compensated correctly or had to do like a crazy amount of crunch to get this crazy tiger looking good. Uh, they didn't like get their kind of their dues, even though that movie was uh, successful at like a award winning level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Disney's entire slate is VFX now, you know, like all of their upcoming projects yeah. are VFX. So they should be paying these people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, if they're in-house VFX, people can unionize. I think that's, you know, they're the ones who have to kind of light the fire, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they kind of have to be the ones who are like, they got to do it first. And then, you know, I'm not really sure what it looks like for these, like, contracted, um, you know, out-of-house VFX studios to also, like, unionize. I'm assuming that it they just do it <laughs> you know i don't know what the what the nitty-gritty uh processes look like but yeah hopefully it's a it's a positive change i mean you know it, it sucks that uh the wga and sag strikes are still ongoing but you know one of the benefits is that it kind of does call into question uh, a lot of the labor around uh the art entertainment that we love and you know i do think vfx artists are like have gotten treated like dog shit as as we've needed them more they've gotten treated shittier <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um, i uh i and also if they do unionize maybe they can even put specifications on contract work when they do their own union contracts you know you might be sure. able to specify we want to work with other union vfx shops possibly i don't know i'm not i'm not a union expert i'm not a union expert either um but yeah, that would be that would be cool, and that hopefully that is um, something they can work towards. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, so much of what Disney does nowadays just would not exist without kind of the backbreaking work of these visual effects artists, and it's such like a uh, thankless job when you have something like uh, I didn't watch Secret Invasion, but you know, I'm plugged into the internet at all times, so I've seen the discourse around it, and to just see everyone kind of complain. About, like, you know, what those, like, last few episodes, like, really looked like. And then also to, like, you know, have the show even use... Yeah, the AI. Um, the AR, which is, like, yeah. it's a sep- that's a separate conversation that is is relevant, obviously. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a slap in the face. It's, like, you know, making these people do this, like, bone-breaking, uh, bone-breaking, back-breaking labor. And then the intro to the show is just, like... Honestly, like some of the worst, like uh, AI. Yeah, it quote, pretty bad, man. Yeah, it's like I, I was gonna say art, but it's more like generated imagery. <laughs> um, it's so fucking bad, and it's like, did you guys not even fucking try? You know, it's like, did you save that much money doing this? I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but somebody has to do CGI Rumpelstiltskin, so. <laughs> Someone has to do it. Is that movie coming out? I don't know. I was trying to pick a, an obscure Disney movie that they haven't touched yet, but I mean, they're they're strip mining the whole catalog. So, yeah, I mean, what was it? Little Mermaid just came out, which I don't know how it performed. And then I don't really know what's the next uh, one. Next one's um, is it? You see the Cinderella or Snow White? I forget which one, but it's got uh, that girl from Shazam, uh, Ziegler. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's been some controversy. I think I forget why. Who cares? 
I don't care. <laughs> I'm not gonna see it. I'm not, I've done seeing it. I, you know, I think I saw I saw Beauty and the Beast. I think that was the last one I watched because Aladdin. I was like, I don't want to watch this shit. No. And then Mulan. I was interested, and then it turned out I didn't want to watch that shit either. Because <laughs> um, the the pitch of Mulan, I was like, oh, they're kind of turning it into like a war movie, and they're orchestrating the music. And then, like, it, as much as that sounded interesting, then it's just like, oh wait, they're just making it not fun. Uh, I forget. <laughs> That's like actually what what they're doing to the movie. <laughs> yeah, they're all just kind of drab and you know, uh, colorless. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I want to see. I mean, I don't want to see it, but you know, when, eventually when they make the Hercules movie, I'm curious what that would look like. That'd be interesting. Yeah, because that'd be an opportunity to get really like campy with it. Yeah. You know. Or you could even like, and Hercules was one of the first ones where they departed from their usual Disney style in terms of animation. So it'd be sure. kind of cool if that was also like very stylized, like maybe even like kind of like a rotoscoped type thing or, you know, that'd that be would neat. be, yeah, that would be, re- that would be really cool. Um, and then, you know, they'll cast Seth Rogen as the, uh, as the trainer and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, my Elsa. That's what he says. Uh, moving on to story number two, uh, the WGA WGA says studios contract offer is neither nothing nor nearly enough. This is written by Jeremy Fuster at the rap. This is a little bit of a long one. So stick with me. Uh, the writers Guild of America released a new memo on Thursday, providing further details on this, on its stance regarding the Alliance of motion picture and television producers, the latest proposal in ongoing talks for a new contract. The Guild also provided some additional details of this past Tuesday's meeting between the negotiation negotiating committee and several studio CEOs, including Disney chief Bob Iger and Warner Brothers Discovery chief David Saslav. The memo to members read, quote, the company's counteroffer is neither nothing nor nearly enough. We will continue to advocate for proposals that fully address our issues rather than accept half measures like those mentioned above and other proposals not listed here, end quote. The WGA acknowledged that the latest AMPTP proposal saw the studios offer more than they did during the initial round of negotiations this past spring and credited the member power demonstrate and credited the member power demonstrated during the nearly four month long strike for new offers. But the guild still said that what was presented to them on August 11th is still quote, still in the typical AMT AMPTP mode of seeming to give while limiting the actual gains end quote. As evidence, the WGA presented a bullet point list of key elements in the studio proposal, along with why the negotiation committee feels it does not go far enough. And this is the rundown of those bullet points. In screen, they have proposed a second step, but only for statistically tiny category of screenwriters, excluding all but the first writers of original of original screenplays. They dismissed the concept of weekly pay. They have seated. They have seated selected but insufficient minimum terms for some but not all Appendix A writers in SVOD. For example, while comedy variety is covered, game show writers, daytime writers, and all other Appendix A writers are not covered. In te- Ooh, sorry. I lost my spot. 
Uh, in television, the companies have introduced a notion of a MBA guarantee of minimum staff size and duration, but the loopholes, limitations, and omissions in their modest proposal, too numerous to single out, make them effectively toothless. Teams of writers who receive P&H contributions as individuals, not teams of three or more. We have read... Uh, we have had real discussions and seen movement on their part regarding AI protections, but we are not yet where we need to be. As one example, they continue to refuse to regulate the use of our work to train AI to write new content for a motion picture. Finally, the companies say that they have made major concessions by offering to allow six WGA staff to study limited streaming viewership data for the next three years so we can return in 2026 to ask once again for a viewership-based residual. In the meantime, no writer can be told by the WGA how well their project is doing, much less receive data, much less receive data, a residual base on that data. The WGA also noted that several other elements in the AMTP, AMPTP's offer, including the annual percentage of minimum rate increases and residual slash compensation increases for streaming and ad-supported video on demand. Video on demand are the same of what was offered to the Directors Guild, Directors Guild of America in its ratified contract as part of a pattern bargaining strategy. With regards to its two-hour meeting with CEOs on Tuesday, the WGA said that, quote, though the process has been made, the language of the AMTP, AMPTPs, I keep forgetting that other P, <laughs> offer, was, <laughs> offer was, as is typical of that body, a version of giving with one hand and taking back with the other. Uh, we repeated... We repeated what we have said since day one, that our demands come directly from the membership itself. They address the existential threats to... Uh, the profession of writing, and to our individual careers, all caused by changes to the business model implemented by the companies in the last seven to ten years, the Guild wrote. And then uh, I included for Tim and I to see the cost of the, it's a graph that is the cost of the WGA proposal. And, you know, we're talking pet pennies to these companies. For example, uh, the cost of the WGA's proposal for Disney Disney makes uh, their annual cost is seventy two million dollars a year. Their annual their annual revenues is eighty two point seven billion dollars a year, and the cost of uh, the revenues is point is zero point zero eighty eight percent, and uh, it kind of looks pretty similar across the board for Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Paramount, Global, NBC Universal, Amazon, Sony, and Apple. So, uh, Tim, does, what do you what do you think of the negotiations at the current moment? Uh, you know, I guess it's it's uh, good that they're starting to listen about the AI stuff, but um, it's really it strikes me as like kind of similar to a lot of problems in modern society where the the people up top are telling you one thing, and when you look at the data, you kind of go like that doesn't make any sense why you're why you're being like this. So like what's right. What's the real thing that you're not saying? Like that that viewership thing that they're talking about. So they have like three years to study streaming viewership and then they'll decide on residuals. But like, it just kind of seems like, are you, <clears throat> I think what they're trying not to say is that it's kind of all bullshit, you know? That it's really all based on like probably bad numbers or they're fudging it and they just don't want anyone to know that they're fudging it for whatever reason. I mean, I think if any, company 
or employer advocates for a lack of transparency, it's to cover their bullshit. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's something in like a different example. We've seen uh, kind of the move to for people to be more transparent about their wages. There is a time where it's like, oh, don't ask someone how much money they make. But in like, you know, a setting where you're uh, you know working at the same job, you know, it's it's like, well, maybe we should all know they don't want us to know how much money we're all making at this one job. So it's actually kind of in everyone's best interest to be more open about how much they make. So they kind of know, I don't know the tra- like what's wrong with transparency in that way, you know? And the same goes for this like streaming model, like, you know, uh, having a smoke screen around the numbers around these like shows that these, uh, creators are writing. And it's just like, you know, it's kind of just a lack of like, I don't know, treating, creators of content you know not, contents i think becoming like a more and more of like a bad word um it was something that i used to you know i feel like throw around willy-nilly but i'm like kind of questioning like the idea of like the word content but you know for these people making shows on netflix you know whether the quality of the show is good bad dog shit whatever uh i think they deserve to know how it's performing and they deserve some kind of like you know kickback in their contracts depending on like how that performance is going as well i don't think it's that unreasonable i think a lot of like the the secrecy on like the the uh the company's parts probably has a little bit to do with especially in netflix's case like the way vc money and all of like all the all the free money is starting to dry up you know because netflix has infamously been running on like dog shit profits for years you know like the whole thing is is fake and they get a ton of money or they they spend a ton of money on these shows and then everyone watches them in in a day or two and then they either cancel them or maybe they'll make another season. It's just like, it just doesn't seem like it makes sense. And if you, if you actually went in there with some real like numbers minded people who are going to publicly post, you know, their findings, it would be pretty bad. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is what they are afraid of. But yeah, I mean like, you know, Netflix is, is kind of like a tech company first mm-hmm. and like, you know, a uh, movie television uh, producer second. And yeah, I mean, with like the tech boom happening, yeah, I do think a lot of that like venture capital money is is drying up. And, you know, I think if I think the thing that we really keep seeing is that the um, the streaming model is is just broken, you know. The streaming model is not sustainable to it's it's like content cannot keep up with the treadmill. It needs to be going like the speed of the treadmill. It cannot keep up with and it can't compensate the people producing the work for its model. So then it's kind of like, I don't know, the whole thing's fucked up. But then, like, you know, when I think about that, it's kind of like, you know, it's like a similar discussion where it's like everything America sucks and you kind of, it's like, why does it suck? It's like, well, the art it's built on like a, not a great foundation. So it's kind of like, let it burn down, start again. But on a more, you know, smaller example with like the streaming model and like television and things like that. And like, just like the way that there was this gold rush for these, these media companies to ditch cable and spin up these, uh, uh, streaming apps. 
you know, it it's kind of now we're at a place where it's like, all right, well, like it's fu- it's it's defunct. Like it, it never was that good, and now we're all doing it for some reason. Well, I like stream. I am a huge streaming person. It makes it like, why shouldn't I, with the technology the way it is, why shouldn't I be able to go on my Xbox and just pull up the show that I want to watch? You know, it's very. Yeah. It's always. It's sort of like it always bugged me when um, DVDs were region coded. Well, it's like, why the fuck? Sure. Like, what's the point why? of that? Yeah. You know, like it, it's not it's not different over there. It's the same fucking computer technology, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that the it's the access is there. You know, it's easy to upload something and for somebody to be able to then watch that thing uploaded. I guess they just haven't really nailed the monetary policy behind it or how to yeah. do the release in a way that makes everybody who makes it happy but i certainly i don't know i don't think we need to go back to cable because cable sucks yeah i mean listen i i like the convenience of streaming as well and it's less of me saying like you know it's like the it seems the, the streaming model just seems like at at the moment and like it's it, what we're going off it's like this is what sag and wga are fighting for and then the ceo's from their yachts are being like, there's just simply not enough money to compensate you for, <laughs> right, right. for your work. And uh, so that's, so it's like, if that's true, then the streaming model does not work. It must be abandoned. If that's not true and there's more money to compensate more people, then that's good. But we just, we've also seen like the, the, I think the darkest part of the streaming model that we've seen in in kind of the months leading up to even the strikes are uh, people who make shows that just get like taken off. Yeah. After a few months of them. And you're like, like that Willow show people fuck like hundreds of people worked really hard on that show for Disney plus and it's fucking gone. They took it off and you can't get a DVD of it. Like it's gone. And I think that's like, there needs to be some, protections in place and and more and and it's because of like the streaming model that like it devalues work uh and because work is becoming so devalued the ceos are kind of like why do we even pay for it you know so i think we need to figure out a way to or there needs to be we i don't know that there needs to be a way to figure out how to like return value to work and protect the work like existence basically the art i agree yeah 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 and i think and that's like part of the drive that like that's why they like ai stuff so much is because they don't value the creativity and like the work that goes into this like making these things so they say you know yeah it's cool when i can get a computer to just write and make an entire show for me if someone will watch it i don't care you know it just saved me a lot of money even if it is like bland and you know repeats the same thing over and over again or is is, you know just has that that tinge of grossness that any like ai sort of thing has yeah and like there are enough people out there who you know i think don't necessarily care where like you know it, it, it's hard for us to like picture it because like everyone who does story screen stuff we obviously care where the art is coming from and we value the directors the writers the actors because because you know when they're in another thing we're like oh that guy's doing this one that's so cool and like you know it's it's hard to imagine that there are people out there though who don't kind of value 
the work that goes into the they they see it as content. And one of the reasons that I, I feel like I, I'm falling out of I'm trying to use the word content less. And it's it's definitely inspired by um, a YouTuber named Patrick H. Willems. I don't know if you ever heard of him, Tim. Uh, he does a lot of like movie theory breakdown videos, and I think he's one of the best guys doing it. And uh, he has an episode and it's coming from a place of him, you know, I think like feeling mixed about, you know, if you're on YouTube making videos, you are a quote unquote content creator. Mm -hmm. But talking about kind of like how the word content has become a bit sullied, where it's this kind of like catch all word used by CEOs like David Zaslav as like it's content devalues the art and they want more content on this platform. So people always have kind of like something to watch, something to look forward to. And it just kind of like devalues the art and the artistry of like what this content is. I don't know that particular guy, but I think I have seen that, that art versus content sort of uh, distinction sort of filter into, yeah. into Twitter. Over the last and I think it's too. right. And I think it's like, you know, it's kind of worth thinking about. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, I mean, no one who I can't imagine anyone who's listening to this podcast who's just like, well, I like content and they should put as much shit out there as possible. I like great brands and good content. I love corporations. They're like people. But mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, to to put yourself in the shoes of like, what if you worked really hard on making any like anything and then it just got fucking taken away from you? And it's like, you know, it is like a bit like art and com- commerce are like you know, maybe never truly should have met, mm-hmm. but, you know, in a capitalist society, the, the, the two must be together. And I think that, um, you know, it is hard when it's like if you're a screenwriter and you sell a screenplay, you're, you're selling the rights to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But there there doesn't need to be so much more added ownership to the thing that you're selling to to change the fact that you are selling the thing for money. But I just think there needs to be more value added to the thing that you're selling and that value can come in the form of residuals or at the very least transparency about how it's performing yeah i mean it is i'm sure that there are ceos that say you know like yeah i yeah i paid you to make the show and now it's my show and if i want to put it in the garbage can i can you know but it's, it's just a gross way to look at it yeah where it's like it's like yes in terms of like the basic like capitalistic framing of it. In a like, legal yeah, they sense. Bought it. It's, yeah. it's theirs for sure. But like yeah. it's, it is gross. And I think it's like, you know, it's the more, it's the, it's the nuanced discussion around it that is happening right now. And, and we're seeing happening in real time and people are kind of like, yeah, we need to return value to art. And uh, yeah, I, th- I hope they, you know, it's, it's been a long, it's a long road for uh, the strikers right now. And it's, and it's hard to see, but, you know, they they ha- they're dug in and, you know, they're fighting for something that, you know, even outside the world of entertainment and and media art. I think it's like something that, you know, should light a fire around all people who want to add value to work. And I don't mean just artistic work. I mean, your labor, like your labor should have value. So hopefully, you know, we start to, to think about things in that way in, in all industries and, and people working. Okay, comrade. <laughs> I, know, I get so my like fucking socialist shit when I'm talking about that stuff. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Ooh, uh, story number three, which is you know a bit of like a shining light. Uh, we'll talk about it. 
Story number three, uh, AMC reaches a deal with SAG-AFTRA to resume production. This story is written by Linda Kodega at Gizmodo. Uh, Linda is the most famous they-them on the internet, and uh, they have done some content for Story Screen. And Linda, if you're listening, what's up? Thank you for writing good stuff. Uh, The story goes like this. Hollywood may be at a near standstill due to the ongoing strikes, but... AMC Studios has been granted waivers to resume work on three of its most high-profile shows. Interview with The Vampire. Is it with The Vampire or A Vampire? I guess it's mm-hmm. The. I'm assuming it's The. Uh, and two of The Walking Dead spinoffs, Daryl Dixon and The Ones Who Live, will resume production under waivers granted by SAG-AFTRA. While AMC, Studio, well, AMC Networks are a part of the AMPTP, the company is not involved in negotiations. The CEO of AMC had previously stated it had enough television logged into its system that it wouldn't begin to feel delays unless the strikes lasted into 2024. Guess what? According to Deadline. While it made a deal with SAG-AFTRA, there is no news yet on whether or not it is attempting to reach a deal with the WGA. These shows are some of the most watched shows on AMC and are... Uh, among the first examples of SAG-AFTRA issuing waivers to massive IP genre shows. So we're seeing, you know, some studios uh, following, I don't know if the guidelines are the right word, but like, you know, doing what SAG is fighting for. And and then therefore, because they're meeting the requirements that SAG is fighting for, they're like, all right, production can resume. I think like A24 uh like yeah, is still shooting couple. yeah because like they're following the guidelines set out by the by sag so yeah it'd be cool if they could reach a similar uh agreement with uh the wga so they could also like keep they gotta write these shows money. right yeah exactly uh it is it is funny to you know the ceo of amc being like well we wouldn't notice anything being weird unless the strikes lasted 2024 and it's like well it might <laughs> we'll see I mean, we'll see Thank God we can get more Daryl. We need more Daryl. Yeah, we need quick, more quick Walking sidebar. Dead. <laughs> are you are you a Walking Dead guy? Were you ever a Walking Dead? I guy? was for a while, uh, for longer than I should have been because it is a bad show, and I think it was always a bad show because nothing happened for so many episodes. Yeah, uh, I watched but, the. I remember the the first season, which is the Frank Darabont directed season. I was like, this is kind of cool, and then after that, I was like, I don't like this shit. Yeah, it you was just, just tell it's designed to go forever. It is. And know? and like it's like 22 episode seasons. Like what what could you possibly be doing? Every it's other crazy. show in the world is getting like eight tops and they're they're cranking out 22 let's say 35 minute shows because the commercials are insane on Walking Dead, yeah. but uh it's crazy that they get so many out of a season. I feel like they could have, like, you know, in all the pantheon of all their episodes, they could have had a few that were written by AI, and people would be like, yes, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> when you absolutely. fucking notice, you know? <laughs> so, Rick yeah, Daryl sounds weird in this one. The farm and kills zombies. Another great episode of yeah. The Walking Dead. Uh, yeah, you know, I have been curious. I always wanted to read The Walking Dead comics. It's books. good. Yeah. I hear those are cool. I have but, read uh, the whole series. Um, so it has a definitive ending then. It does, yes. That I think there, there may be spinoffs and like one shots and stuff. I'm not sure about that, but I know like there was a ending to the original 
book and it came relatively suddenly i think kirkman was just like yeah man i'm 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 too big time i got yeah i've got a billion (laughs) different projects going now and let's just wrap this guy up yeah fair enough um but yeah i mean like you know kind of kudos to i mean it's an amc's best interest to uh start it's in all these studios best interest to work with sag and the wga and follow their guidelines to resume productions. I think, uh, did you see the video of Adam driver? Uh, I, it's not at Kane's. I don't know where it was, but th- they just premiered Ferrari mm-hmm. and they're doing, uh, like a, a press junket afterwards. And someone, so he is allowed okay. because it's it kind of for the same reason they got away that the, whatever the, the studio handling Ferrari, which is a smaller studio, is following those guidelines. And he says in the video, you know, you can find it online, uh, those who are listening, but he basically says in the video, like, it just kind of goes to show, like, how come these smaller studios with less money can av- abide by these rules set out by by SAG and the WGA and these bigger corporations cannot. And right. it's just kind of like... Right. Yeah. Why? Usually, regulations not? hurt the small person more than the big person, but and they're and they mm-hmm. are following them, mm-hmm. you know, and making movies. So yeah, it is kind of like, what's up with that? So yeah, you know, it's it's these exceptions are, you know, they seem overall, I think, a net positive because it uh, will keep people working, especially like you know the the industries that are, or not the industries, but the. Uh, other like pockets of the industry that are getting really hurt by this as well, or again, you know, they're all hurting, but like, you know, grips, mm-hmm. production hands, you know, the post-production people, the, 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 right. the, everyone, the lighting camera people, like they're all effectively on strike as well, you know, unless you can get like reality work, right. You can still do reality. Yeah, I guess probably. Um, but even that or like, you know, I think there was an article, this is like a few months ago, but it was like, they're starting to shoot the new Sonic movie, but without any <laughs> one there. So it's like, you know, it's like, so what are you like doing? <laughs> you know, but I guess uh, maybe just, just like location a, shooting and they're going to try I guess and so. key everybody in afterwards. Maybe. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's just like weird. It's like, I don't know. That new Sonic movie was good, but I think that new Sonic movie is kind of good. Like Sonic 2. I, f- I feel like I enjoyed it because it felt like, a Roger Rabbit movie or like, or like space jam because they did. So they, they did the like Sonic interacting in the real world with practical effects and humans like really good. So if you even CGI in the humans, I don't know if that's going to be as, as fun to watch. Maybe it'll be all, all Sonic world. That is, you know, I kind of want that. Uh, moving on. Uh, we got some short guys, coming up so uh this story is uh i I, i'm a big gamer tim as you know you're a big gamer as well so Mm -hmm. every time i get to sneak some game talk into the stories and reports it's always a good time but charles martinet transitions to mario ambassador and steps down from voicing the plumber this story is by nintendo of america nintendo tweeted uh about a week or so ago this uh red image with some writing on it that i will read Charles Martinet has been the original voice of Mario in Nintendo games for a long time, as far back as Super Mario 64. Charles is now moving into the brand new role of Mario Ambassador. With the transition, he will be stepping back from recording character voices for our games, but he'll continue to travel the world, sharing the joy of Mario and interacting with you all. 
It has been an honor working with Charles to help bring Mario to life for so many years, and we want to thank and celebrate him. Please keep an eye out for a special video message from Shigeru Miyamoto and Charles himself, which we will post at a future date. Uh, I don't believe that video has been posted yet. Uh, and yeah, Charles Martinet has been the voice of Mario since uh, his, 3D de- his 3D debut in Mario 64. And uh, he also voices, I believe, Luigi, Wario, uh, Waluigi. That might be it. And probably some other guys, too. Uh, and he also is the voice of Mario's dad in uh, the new Super Mario Brothers movie. But uh, yeah, Tim, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the the ambassador of Mario does? And what, what do you th- and what job. do you think the joy? Yeah, it's like where you just like hang out and like sign yeah. autographs. Like I don't know. Yeah, I guess you just go around do do events. Maybe you open whenever there's a new Mario thing. You help open that. I don't know. Yeah, I guess just getting I flown mean, around on Nintendo's dime. That's great. I feel like, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto is like realistically the, you know, he's the creator of Mario and, you know, he's kind of transitioned into less of like a game development role and kind of more of like brand ambassador where mm-hmm. I think a lot of like Nintendo world is, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to say his design, but like, I think he had a huge part in like guiding what it is, you know? So I feel like he's like kind of like, is like the big figurehead of like what Nintendo is as a brand. So maybe, I mean, I can't imagine that Charles Martinet is like going to have any real like Mario character decision-making. Like, I don't know if they have like the new guy get like paddled by him before they, (laughs) you know, make him do the voice. Like, I'm not really sure what, how that works, but. I mean, does this mean future Marios are going to go more of a talky route? With the success of the movie? That is interesting. I didn't really think about that. Well, so I'll say this. So Super Mario Wonder is coming out in October. That's the Mm -hmm. new side-scrolling Mario game that they announced very recently. And they just had a direct for on Thursday, which Mm -hmm. is from the time this post, you know, almost a week ago. And during that time, they did not announce who the new voice actor for Mario was because I watched the whole thing. But they did confirm that Charles Martinet is not the voice of Mario in that game. Mm. Interesting. So it kind of just raises the question. It's like, you know, Charles Martinet is an older dude, but I feel like he's not so old where he couldn't voice Mario anymore. I mean, so it's kind of like. Guy, uh, whoever's doing Optimus is probably about as old. Yeah. Right. I would say yeah, so. Yeah, he's been, so he's it's been like, doing the same. I mean, they had uh, James Earl Jones stop doing Darth Vader only re- like he's and that dude's like 90 something years old. Yeah, he's really up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's old, yeah. So it's kind of like, all right, that's fair. Um but the thing is, you know, the the example I've seen people talk about in like video game podcasts and online is kind of like, well, hopefully it's not to hopefully they're hiring like another actor and not, you know, doing like AI cuz that's what they did oh. with Darth Vader. You know, Darth Vader is an AI voice. Oh, is in, he? Uh, in the Ob- new in, Obi- in, in Obi-Wan, he's he's an AI Darth Vader voice. I don't oh. even think it's an understudy. Uh, there's yeah. so many people that can do great impressions. Wow. <laughs> that sucks. Man. I know. It does suck. And it's like, you know, I, when the guy who played um, Aku mm-hmm. or uh, uh, Uncle Izo in um, yeah. Avatar The Last Airbender and Samurai Jack, respectfully, when that guy died, they, he had an understudy that was able to kind of like come in and do the voice. And that guy's great. You know, mm-hmm. it's a pretty seamless transition. But I also don't think that we should be afraid of like we should not be afraid of change 
But I think it's like, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a it's like a mantle that this new person gets to come in and bear, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that we should necessarily like not see it that way. I feel like each is like Bugs Bunny's one of those ones that's had a couple different voice actors now and yeah, they've Mickey Mouse too. Yeah, and and they all kind of are like, "Oh, that was the great and now I get to be this character and I I do them, but I do a little bit of me, you know?" Yeah, and I think that's like kind of cool. Like I like that. You yeah. Know? That's that's like that's tradition. <clears throat> that's, you know, that's like uh that's how it should work. Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah, it's it's like it, it gives the characters like distinct eras as mm-hmm. long as you do it correctly. But, you know, I don't think something like Mario is like, I mean, they already had the worst Mario uh, replacement. It was like Chris Pratt, who like, you know, is he's very fine. He's fine in the movie. I still but it's not very it, it's, it's I don't think it's very good. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to look at. It's not a very good movie. And it treats like, you know, they're like, oh, it's a kid's movie. And I'm like, I think we should treat children with more respect. <laughs> it's like this movie treats them like they're fucking idiots. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, a, story, a story for a different day, perhaps. But uh, yeah, I mean, Charles Martinet is certainly putting the time. I hope that they do. Uh, you can kind of tell if you watch the Super Mario Wonder video, you can kind of tell it's like a different inflection. Like it is subtly different. Kind of what you were saying before. It is like subtly different. And I mm. think, you know, hopefully it's because... They got a new guy to do it. But it is interesting. I didn't think about that, that he would be more talky in the future. I would hope not. I, I mean, I, I Nintendo no. is good at, at sort of sticking to their guns, you know? Like, I mean, the past two Zelda games have been crazy well-received, and Link still just goes like, ah, you know, like, that's it. Yeah, he doesn't you say know? anything. And, yeah. well, you know, what, what's cool about those games, and I feel like a lot of people don't talk about the writing in those games is amazing. Like, I think it's like some of the best localization I've ever seen. And it's, there's so much like, like sass and character and just like funny, like, just like energy in the writing of that game. And when like, when like, when Link like responds to someone, you you get the, you get like the two options, like, no, yes. But in Tears of the Kingdom, like they're, they're just always a little sassy where he's like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> like, da, 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 or like, and it kind of like adds like a, a bit of like characterization and just like another like kind of flavor to it. But I do think, you know, keeping these characters uh, more ambiguous is for the best, which even in, in a movie like the Super Mario Brothers movie where you do get your first, well, not first, but uh, one of uh, an example of a talky Mario um He's he's so like underdeveloped as a character. It might as well. He might as well be silent, you know, because hmm. he is just kind of like he he has one goal. He's pretty one note. So it doesn't he doesn't really feel like he's that distinct from the Mario we play as anyway. You know what I mean? Interesting. No, yeah. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to put it on Peacock one of these days. <sighs> you don't have to. Um, <laughs> It's worth, you know, it's like the, it's like the best screensaver you've ever seen. Okay, like, nice. It looks good. It looks good. Uh, story number five, Denis Villanueva teases possible Dune part three based on Dune Messiah. This story is written by Ben Travis at Empire. Rumors have swirled that Villanueva could be eyeing up more Dune for the big screen. And as he tells Empire in our world exclusive Dune Part 2 cover story, that is, that that is indeed the case. Quote, if I succeed in making a trilogy, that would be the dream, he says. 
Part three then would consist of Dune Messiah's uh, Herbert's follow-up to Dune. Quote, or uh, Villanueva continues, Dune Messiah was written in reaction to the fact that people perceived Paul Atreides as a hero, which is not what he wanted to do. My adaption of Dune is closer to his idea that it's actually a warning, end quote. If it does happen, the Messiah spanning Dune Part 3 would make would mark the end of Villanueva's time on Arrakis. Quote, after that, the books become more esoteric, end quote. And while any future Dune sequels once again hinge on the box office results of Part 2, Villanueva's plans for Part 3 aren't just nebulous thoughts. Quote, I will say there are words on paper, end quote. Fingers crossed that there will eventually be images on screen, too. Uh, Tim, I don't know if we ever talked about Dune together, but what are your, before we get into potential Dune part three, uh, what are your thoughts and feelings on Dune part one? Are you doing a bit? Isn't it Villeneuve? I thought it was Villeneuve. Isn't he Is French? It Villeneuve? He's French, isn't he? He's French Canadian. Yeah. Well, that you're saying it like Spanish. Am I? I, I remember seeing an interview. I remember seeing an interview with him where he thought, Nueve, I thought he said right? it like that. Villeneuve. No. Maybe it is Villeneuve. Yeah, Villeneuve is like house number nine. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> Villeneuve. I thought it was Villeneuve, uh, but anyway, uh, I just was thrown <laughs> off. Um, but yeah, no, I thought Dune was cool. I, I liked it. I didn't really go in with high expectations, but uh, uh, but like I know, I think there's just a lot of hype around Dune, and I was trying to be like hype neutral when I went into it. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was good. You know, Timmy does a good job. I like um, Timmy does a great job. I yes. like the the uh, wah, wah guys, the, the, the Tibetan throat singers <laughs> yeah, those guys in are space. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love Dune. Uh, I've seen it many times. Uh, it's my one of mine and Claire's favorite movies. Claire read the funny story with her in Dune is that she was like, "I want to read Dune before the movie comes out," and she's like racing to read this book she starts out a little bit late she's a pretty fast reader she she reads all the time but she's trying to like fucking crush this book before dune comes out and then we're like watching the movie and it says like part one she's like what the fuck and then and then we're you know the movie ends and she's just like what the fuck they didn't even do all this other shit yet i was just like well well honey we've been here for three hours The movie has it has to be done at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, the movie does feel you know uh, narratively it kind of ends at like a weird right. Place. It is a part. It is very much a part it, one. It feels very much part like Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of just like and now it's done. Yeah. Um, very excited for Dune Part Two. Very uh, incredibly sad that it has gotten delayed. It's uh, unfortunate, but a necessary evil. But uh, Tim, did you? So I included a little bit of the Doom Messiah Wikipedia page because I was just like, I've heard that that is an extremely weird book. So I read a bit of it. Did you happen to read the? Uh... I didn't, but only because I, I haven't read Dune, and I, I so far I've been able to go into Dune spoiler free, more gotcha. or less. So I, I didn't take a peek. I do know that at some point. Timmy turns or the the Paul turns into a yeah. worm. He actually turns into the worm. I don't know. I've if that's heard that. This I've heard one that too. Or like way down the line that he actually. But that's not, I think yeah. what they were mentioning when it, they said like it gets more esoteric as it goes on. I think you're right. I know they get they get crazy the books, but um, 
Yeah, so I won't spoil what I read in that Wikipedia page, but um, yeah, it seems like the the books get weird, uh, and through Messiah maybe like the the last like grounded weird book, but I do like the idea, and you kind of do see that in Dune Part One, and I love the arc that Denise is setting up, where it's like, oh yeah, like you know, you have Paul who gets. Uh, his world torn from him and then he gets like able to become this like you know very powerful leader that's part witch part man all uh, sand guy but uh, and then like you know Dune 2 is him kind of rising to power and then Dune Messiah is is them uh, calling into question like oh maybe Oops. he's not yeah, it's like, is he actually bad? Or, or like, you know, with great power comes great corruption or kind of something mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's a very cool, like, arc and not something you really see in, like, you know, like, I, I like comparing Dune to Lord of the Rings where, you know, I think Lord of the Rings, when you watch it, you kind of forget that it's, like, pretty, like, nerdy and impenetrable, even on, like, the blockbuster movie scale where, like, in Fellowship of the Ring, like, Gandalf has like five different names, you know, like like it is like a very proper noun heavy giant worlds of a series. But at the end of the day, like, you know, your characters are are heroes outside of a few bad guys. But even those bad guys eventually become good guys at some point or they die Uh, one or the other or they have like a they have a heroic finale. But in Dune, I, I really you don't really see that on the blockbuster scale of kind of like a character who you're kind of like building up as like a hero and like the hero that like this, this world and culture needs only to be like, ah, but now that he is at this like power, it's like all power is corrupting in a way. Yeah. That is, that is an interesting, uh, arc. I'm trying to think if there's been anything. I mean, the closest I can think of off the top of the head is just the, uh, the black suit in Spider-Man, but you know, that eventually that's, that's a story about him overcoming that power and, and there's even an externality to the evil of it. Not, whereas this Dune, it seems like he just gets, uh, he just gets on top and starts having to make, starts making some real, uh, nasty decisions. CEO decisions. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It becomes David Saslov in Mm -hmm. in the world of Arrakis. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I, I, you know, there are definitely like stories of, you know, the, the classic, you, you get like the Darth Vader arc where it's like, you know, Anakin mm-hmm. becomes Darth Vader, shit like that. But uh, it's not quite as like, it's it's kind of something I, I wish that the prequel, I wish the prequels did a lot of things, but something that I wish they, they had a more nuanced approach on. Even, you know, I do think like Clone Wars added a, a bit of like extra uh, I don't know, like narrative texture to his like arc from from Anakin to Darth Vader that kind of makes it a bit more like palatable. But I I do wish that in the on the on the prequel movies that it was like a kind of a bit more like he was a really good guy and then he kind of became a really bad guy where they kind of made him like he was always a really angsty guy mm-hmm. and then it kind of made the transition to evil like not as like. Uh, long of a arc, maybe you know, more understandable like, that. Yeah, you're like, oh, I get that, it. That inside him, that he could be exactly. bad if pushed. Yeah. So it's like it's not as like tragic, you mm-hmm. know. Whereas I think it should be like this tragic character. And that's what Clone Wars does, I think, pretty good. Where they they make him a bit more altruistic, and they kind of make him like you know he is a, a character who's like really he's so powerful, so he's really successful in wartime. But he's like a really like like kind-hearted general but it's his 
wanting to see like you know like wanting results and 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 uh desire to kind of like use his power as shortcuts that kind of like are telling of his like transition to Darth Vader ultimately and and his his lust for darkness comes from his his innate power and ability to shortcut uh process you know if only someone warned him about that if only someone was like don't be that way yeah if only if only Qui-Gon Jim was just like this seems like a bad idea <laughs> Shouldn't have, Shouldn't have bought that kid. Shouldn't have bought that kid. All right. That is all the stories for Stories Can Reports. Now we are moving on to the second and final uh, segment of the show, Story Screen Reports Spotlights, where I tell you what is coming out in the month of September. In terms of movies, not a crazy month, but we got some bangers. Uh, September 1st is The Equalizer 3. September 8th, The Nun 2 and My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. September 15th, The Inventor and The Haunting of Venice. September 22nd, we get Expendables. That's <laughs> Expendables 4 uh, and Dumb Money. September 29th, we get The Creator, Saw X, Dicks the Musical. And then coming to streaming, uh, you know, I try to do my best to get as uh, all the streaming stuff that's coming out, but it's a lot. So, you know, I kind of, it's kind of whittled down to what I think I'm interested in seeing, what I think other people who listen would be interested in, in what's coming out. But coming to streaming is Disenchantment Season 5 that comes out September 1st, September 1st on Netflix. I can't believe they made that many seasons of that show. That is crazy. I didn't realize that, is, that when cra- you said it right there, I was like, crazy. whoa. <laughs> it's crazy. Because I thought people didn't like it. Futurama like died and came back and then died and a then came back happened. again. And yes. they're still and they're still doing another Matt Graining. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek Lower Deck season four comes out September 7th to Paramount Plus. Changeling comes out September 8th to Apple TV Plus. The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon comes yes. out September 10th. Yes. To yes. Uh, the other black girl comes out September 13th to Hulu. American Horror Story season 12 comes out September 20th to FX. Sex Education season four, what I believe is the final season, comes to Netflix on September 21st. The Continental comes out September 22nd to Peacock. Castlevania Nocturne comes out uh, September 28th to Netflix. And Gen 5, the uh, the boys spinoff show, oh. comes to Amazon Prime September 29th. That's probably Gen V then, because I think the... Oh, that's the, right. Gen V. You're right. Yeah, yes, the chemical yes. is V. I thought it was 5 yes. at first, but I didn't realize that it no, was No, you're right. It is Gen V. I, uh, I read it numerologically. Numer- numbers. Uh, Tim, what... On the movie and streaming list, are you excited for? Um, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll watch The Nun when it hits streaming. I like the the Conjuring series, but I will okay. say as many times as possible: give me a story about the haunted samurai armor. Ooh, that's so cool! I've never seen. Is this a oh, reference to? Oh yeah. So in, in the seen. Conjuring, he the 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 titular ghost hunters are there. Yes. I guess they're not the titular, but the ghost hunters. They have a whole room of cursed artifacts that they they keep uh, in their house, and one of them is like this six pair, like six samurai armor. And I want the yeah, story want behind that. that. Yeah, I don't yeah, care I about that. the that nun. I don't cool. care about the doll. Give me the no. samurai. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel like it's also like it's so good for like I mean like uh, Japanese culture does have like they, they deal so much with like spirituality <laughs> and, and like yeah. ghosts and the little demons. What is it? Uh, it's not kanji Ten- or. Uh, there's, there's a word. It's my, not Tengu. Tengu is a type. 
Yeah, it's but that's the thing. They have yeah. like types of ghosts. Yeah, like, right. When I I did a lot of I did a decent amount of research when I wrote um, uh, what mythology is next for God of War. Uh, our right. for PC Mag at the beginning of the year, and I looked into a lot of like Japanese folklore and mythology, not in like a yokai? super deep level, yokai but like the word yokai. That's what yes, it is. There you go. But like, okay. there's a lot of it, even in like the umbrella of yokai. There's like a ton of different types mm-hmm. of yokai, and like you know when you watch something like Spirited Spirited Away, like a lot of the character designs are based off of like these like folklore spirits, you know, some bad, some good. Um, but even like, you know, like Japan has like Tory gates in yeah. like all over the place, which are like, you know, the, the gateways to the spirit realm. So yeah, I just feel like doing a horror movie with that would be kind of cool. Be kind of cool. Um, the other one on here, the creator is the district nine looking one. Correct. Yeah, made by the guy who did Rogue One. Gareth Edwards. Yeah. I'm gonna double check. That one looks good. But I'm even like, if I'm that's not convinced bad, it's I wanna I, see it. I will watch it even if it's bad just because I want to see the production design because the production design looks great. It has that it very looks really cool. Weta Weta Workshop uh Elysium yeah. District Nine feel, which um this is very much my shit. Uh it is Gareth Edwards who uh yes, did Rogue One. Got it. Um, uh, yeah, I want to I want to see it. I'm hoping it's good. I just like there's just something about that trailer. Where I'm like, it's not it looks like it's like a visual feast, but like something about it, it's like not quite hitting. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Uh, but I want it to be good. Are you going to uh, see Saw X? I guess, you know, I mean, when it when it hits streaming, maybe I was yeah. never a big Saw guy. Yeah, it's kind of a weird month for movies. I'm not really going to rush out, I think, to see any of these. The Inventor looks kind of cool. I just heard about that when I was researching stuff for the show. Um, but it's like a stop... Or animated or stop motion. I actually have to double check. But uh, it looks like it's actually stop motion. Is it a Leica joint? Or is it just a So movie? it's uh, Inventing Flying Contraptions, War Machines, and Studying Cadavers. Leonardo da Vinci tackles the meaning of life itself with the help of French princess Marguerite de Navarre. Oh, interesting. So it looks, uh, it looks cool. It looks like a stop motion movie. It's uh, Daisy Ridley is in it. Matt Berry. Oh. Uh, Stephen Fry is the voice of Leonardo da Vinci. So yeah, it has a good voice cast. Uh, the guy directed it, Jim uh, Capo Bianco, he he's, he wrote Ratatouille, so he has like he's been involved in a lot of like okay. Disney okay. art stuff as like story artist and things like that. So it it looks like it could be cool. Uh, I didn't hear much about it until again I was looking up for the show, but mm-hmm. I'm into uh, it. Sex Ed, I'll watch Sex Ed. I I love yeah. A, a the high t- school there's dramedy. a lot of TV stuff I am hype on. Uh, Sex Ed I'm excited for uh, Changeling has Lakeith Stanfield in it and I kind of okay. want to check that out and then uh, Castlevania Nocturne I mean I, I know am, you're a big Castlevania boy I am the number one Castlevania fan so I am excited to see uh, them return it, it's not going to be you know it's a different it's a spinoff or sequel show to the previous Castlevania five season run so I am sad that I will not be seeing Trevor and Alucard, but maybe I will. We'll see. But I'm very excited for Castlevania. I'm very excited. Are you gonna watch uh, uh, Gen V, Tim? Is that's animated too, isn't it? 
No, that one's live action. It is okay. Uh, yes. I don't know. Maybe I yeah. like the boys, but I like you, too many spinoffs. Even like this Continental spinoff is also like, come on, man. I don't want to. I don't want to watch that. Yeah. I saw like the trailer for it, and I, you could just tell it's not made by the guy who makes John Wick, right? Because he has such a distinct, you know, like those movies all look extremely good and purposeful, and like you just tell that this is not that. And if it's like I don't know, if it's a John Wick movie. If it's a John Wick movie without John Wick, I'm like, that's already kind of weird, but that's fine. But if it doesn't even have the same, like, action style as John Wick, then I'm right. like, I don't really What's the point? Yeah. I don't care about the lore that much. You right, know? Th- that's the problem. I liked the first yeah. one when there wasn't that much lore. There was just nice right. little hints that you were like, oh, that's fun. That's cool. And like, if they're going to give me, like, you know, all the bylaws of the Continental in this. Like, yeah. I'm not that interested. No. I mean, like, three is where they really lost me with, like, the like. The, the lore of the world for I it it still might be my favorite movie of the year. I I love John Wick. I still 4. haven't seen it, but that's on my list. It's I think it's very good, and you know it's kind of like it has a, a bit more of the synergy of like the lore and like the necessary like pace of action kind of meeting in the middle and, okay. and moving at a brisk pace, which I I think that's what John Wick One does so well, where they're just like they introduce things that are intriguing but not. Uh, slowing down pace, which I think is what John Wick 2 does very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, or John Wick 3. John Wick 2, I, I still think is very good. Um, Gen yeah, v, so, yeah. I guess. I'm not gonna, I don't know. I mean, it's, The Boys is good, but if you watch like three or four boys, shit, like episodes in a row, it's like. Um, Exhausting. It is. It's like, it's like GTA. Every joke is like. We're McCrapples, you know, like it's just like yeah. everything is just like so <laughs> cynical and so like, yeah, I get it, man. It sucks. Corporations are bad. This is all bullshit. I get yeah. it. Can also, we... this show's on Amazon Prime. So yeah. like, what are you what are you really saying? Yeah, well, <laughs> we're know? on Amazon Prime in the show, but as we call it Amazon shit, it's like, OK, yeah, got it's like, it. Cool. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I have not. I don't know a ton about. Gen V. I also am just like not super interested. I mean, we'll see what the kind of like buzz is around it when it actually does come out at the end of the month. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I also like The Boys. Um, I think The Boys is, is a very good show. And uh, it's like production value always like really impresses me. Agreed. And uh, yeah, I just don't know. But the thing is, like, I, I never I don't really ever finish a season of The Boys being like, man, I want more. I'm yeah. always so like I'm good. Like I that was great. I'm f- I'm full. Mm-mm-mm. I'm they, good. They give like, some <laughs> that last episode usually of the pa- I I think the most recent one, the season finale was kind of like a big big crazy plot twist, but then the one before that when was like such a cynical turn at the end that I was like, man, fuck that. Oh, when yeah, they, that was that was rough. Yeah, when they revealed like the one person was actually the bad guy, and like I was like, oh, yeah, okay, like yeah, you couldn't have had like one good character in the whole show. Like, all right, it's no, fine. It's not allowed. Know? It's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, Tim, before we uh, get out of here, what are you what are you watching now? What are you into? Uh, let's see. I am watching the final season of How to with John Wilson. Uh, is it the final season? It is. Yes, yeah, the final season. No. I which know. which one is which season is it? Three, four, three. I think. Yeah. Three. Why? I don't know. Oh, that's so sad. Maybe just casualty of Adult Swim. I don't know, but 
Yeah, the la- like a couple weeks ago, he was in. He was around Beacon. He was like driving. He found like some guy who's growing a giant pumpkin in like one of those little towns around Beacon. That was funny. God, God, I love that. Um, that show was great. If, if, if someone, anyone who's listening to this who hasn't watched How to Jump Wilson, you it's must. really special. It's like it's some, so it's so so good, so weird, and like just so different. It's great. Hopefully he kind of does like, you know, when when Nathan for you ended, I was like heartbroken. But then the rehearsal comes out and I'm like, well, rehearsal is is what I like about Nathan for you on crack. So hopefully he he kind of is able to uh, up his game to whatever the Mm -hmm. next level is Mm -hmm. in the future. And then uh, for for my weebs, uh, I've been watching the the, uh, I've been watching the Roroni Kenshin reboot. They they like rebooted that series. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar I, I watched. Is it Samurai X? Is the yeah, prequel? Yeah, that's like the OVA. I watched. Yeah, I watched some of that, which I thought was. I really liked it because it was kind of like about why he became a pacifist. Right. So you get to see him not be. Yes. He's and really he's, good he's at killing, killing people. A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. The reboot is interesting because, like, I think they're they're. I mean, they're both based off of the manga, which I've never read. I'm not a, a manga guy, but they're both based off yeah, the manga, same. so they follow like the exact same story beats to the point where when I first started watching, I was like, I don't know why you'd reboot this if you were just going to do the same thing. Right. Uh, but did you I, watch the the Trigun reboot no. that came out this year? No. Okay. So that. like, it's are you a Trigun fan? Did you watch? The no, original? I never watched Trigun. I, I love Trigun. Trigun's one of my favorite, like, older animes or, like, 90s animes. And uh, so I started the reboot. I actually didn't finish it. It's cool. It's Studio Orange does it, and it's kind of that, like, 3D mm-hmm, anime mm-hmm. art style that, like, I didn't think I liked. But I saw it, the it running clip me. on Twitter. It's it's cool. Like, it, it does... It, it looks really good. It's kind of the best version of what that art style is. Yeah. Um, but I did think the thing I really like about Trigun is that it's it's a Western about a pacifist, mm. a gunslinger who doesn't want to kill. And it's like kind of goofy at times, kind of like uh, sexist in, in ways that are like older animes just do. And it sucks. But uh, in the new version, it doesn't really have a lot of that, which is better. But it is it loses the the Westernness mm. instead of, it, you know, if Trigun OG was like sci-fi Western mix, but like the Western aspect kind of weighed a bit heavier, this one kind of like is the scales go the other way. And yeah, I'm like less in, I'm, I was less into it. Hmm. It's cool. It, they're doing it, but it is, it's very, my point though is, is that it's very different hmm. from tr- the original run of Trigun where it sounds like Roni Kenshin is kind of, it's very like, I will say I watched a recent, like one of the, the, the arc ending fights i watched the the that episode was like two two weeks ago and then i watched i went back the other day and watched the 90s version of that episode and they have like the exact same story beats um but yeah. uh, and and in in my head in like nostalgia view i was like oh i bet the 90s animation had that nice 90s charm um right and then having gone back and watched it, I was like, okay, you know what? The update does look a little bit better. And the, the, it still has that new animation, like Photoshop sheen on everything. Yeah. You know? I don't but, love that, but. but it does look better. And there's a little bit less like canned, like, like sort of like, um, effect shots that they do to like not have to yeah. draw stuff, you know? So not have to pay for the, right. <laughs> so it does look, I would say that it looks better and I like the character to begin with. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching it. Um, and I think it's good. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, yeah, Trigon was another one too where I watched the new one. I was like, this art style is cool. It's like serviceable and it looks good, but I I think that the the 90s one, like, it just looks amazing. The 90s one looks kind of like Cowboy Bebop where it's like, you know, that it's like, or like, you know, how like Ghost and Shell does it too, where like the way they just draw like technology Mm -hmm. is so like, detailed and yeah. rich and like dirty All and like cool wires and like spinny oh my bits. god or yeah. Like, and yeah or like you know uh discs moving into pillar like it's mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. so granular and mechanical and you're like i fucking love this shit and uh yeah that's what trigon did that too in spades yeah, uh are you watching anything else tim of note i think those are the only two that i've been like looking forward to uh yeah lately yeah I've been watching uh, My Adventures to Superman, which I think mm-hmm. wraps this week. Uh, I really like it. And it's, it's only getting more intriguing. And they're introducing uh, story beats that I am really like, oh, that's really that's really interesting. I didn't expect that. And I'm surprised that a Superman show has even caught my interest for this long. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend that. It is good. It's really good. Uh, voice cast is really good. And uh, I've also been watching... The new season of Harley Quinn, which I'm a little bummed to say it's it's might be the weakest one mm. so far. But the other three seasons are are like true bangers. So, you know, a so-so Harley Quinn season is is fine. But yeah, otherwise, I don't think I'm really watching that much stuff. There's a lot of video games coming out. So I feel like I'm on YouTube yeah. watching a lot of like content about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you and I are both playing Armored Core 6. Mm hmm. Which is great, and uh, I won't be playing Starfield. So <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely. I'll be on. I'll be on that Starfield. I can't wait for some Bethesda. I will defend Todd to my death. Well, I think that's you know, if you're into Bethesda games, I think it's it's gonna be super like what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything that can play it. I thought I I heard originally they're like yeah it should run on Steam Deck, and now people are saying like it does not no. <laughs> does not do that does not do that, which I'm surprised because it runs on Series S, which is like. I don't think even as strong. I think a Steam Deck is like a bit beefier than that. But I don't know. Huh. I don't know, Robbie. I don't know. Maybe they'll fix. Maybe they'll fix it. I don't want to buy, buy another. Maybe I can't buy, an buy another box. I don't want to. Game Pass is the greatest deal in Game consoles. Pass is. It is the greatest deal <laughs> on consoles. I got a Steam Deck because I thought like I'd be able to, kind of like fill that void. Uh huh. And I do to a certain extent. Like I got like the new Quake Two remastered on there, and like I'm playing like portal but it's like the pc version of portal so there's like mods and stuff so it's like you know it is it is filling a niche that i did not previously have covered in my like video game console space but uh yeah i want you know i kind of i was like i'd like to check out starfield for the price of a quarter of a game we'll see we'll see the hype could get me but uh i think if i had another gaming box in the house uh claire would not be (laughs) Would not be happy with me. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Well, yeah. There's and there's probably not a ton of used like Series S's out at the moment, or you know, there might be. They do Maybe. like a you could do like a payment plan thing with them too, which is like, I mean, you know, the interest probably you probably end up paying a lot more by the I end mean, of that time. But. You also wait. They might come out with like you know a Starfield bundle because that Starfield Xbox controller is the sickest. Is nice. Like you know, did you see the uh, that controller is great. That's one of the best like collectors controllers yeah, to, yeah i think ever made and then did you see the uh the wrap that they made for the series x oh no they throw for the x too huh yeah so they made this it's it's not like they didn't make a custom 
like collector's edition console, but what they did instead is they made this like it's almost like a if you ever use like an iPad like mm-hmm. case, like the foldable cases, it's like that where it has that kind of like soft interior and like magnetic kind of like oh. and it's for the Series X. Whoa. And it looks okay. great. And it I looks look really it looks really cool. And it's like, you know, it's even better than like uh, uh PlayStation 5 has come out with like custom uh plates you can secure on the side of the mm-hmm. console, but like it you know, you have to like take some off and then they have to go somewhere and there's a bit of like a to-do on like snapping off the plates. Whereas this you just put it right on top of your console. Ooh, okay. It's pretty good. I'm look that up. Yeah, it's uh it seems pretty cool. So if uh you know, you should get it. But uh Tim, anything to plug before we get out of here? No. I'm I'm chilling, you know. Great. Just tell me happy birthday. Happy birthday. Everyone tell Tim when this comes out. (laughs) That's true. Tell everyone happy belated. If you're listening to this to sweet, sweet boy, Tim. Uh, For me, I don't have too much to plug, but, uh, you know, follow me on social media for all the stuff I'm doing. Uh, I've been doing a lot of freelance writing this year, so I have some really cool articles that have gone out pretty recently. I uh, reviewed uh, Immortals of Avium, a game that I gave a three out of five for PC Mag. It was fine. It was fine. And then I also uh, have an article about the best books in video games that is... uh, I really like that article because it's... It is a a product list. It's a listicle, but I feel like in that article, I got to talk a lot about, like, the importance of writing and also, like, about the... uh, how writing about video games or writing for websites uh can kind of has like a impermanence feeling to it because like you know if the website sells all your work just gets yanked from a server and uh you know these books are these kind of like physical tombs that you know will last longer than even some games will so uh yeah i uh, it's a cool article I, I was really happy with that one because uh, like, it has kind of like a theme while also being a listicle with some great books on it. So, yeah, please uh, check out all my work there. And You're part uh, of the Metascore now. I know, I'm a Metacritic. I'm not an open critic, though, which I thought oh, was annoying. Damn. Yeah, I want it to be, unless, let's see if I'm on there right now. Because I, I only check every day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see, open critic. Uh, it is cool being on Metacritic. I am. I am into that. They have PC Gamer. They don't have PC Mac. PC Gamer. Nope. Nope. Not there. Not Damn. there. Well, you can't win them all. Unless. Nope. Not there. Can't Damn. win them all. Justice Damn. for baby. <sighs> Justice for baby. Double checking again. Yeah, no. All right. Uh, that's all we have for today. <laughs> Thank you so much for <laughs> listening. Tim, happy birthday. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, as always. Of course. No problem. And don't forget, you can go to storyscreenpresents.com to uh, follow us and find out where we are doing our pop-ups, where we go to uh, businesses locally and turn them into a movie theater for the night and sell concessions. So if you'd like to support us and help keep the lights on, please attend one of our screenings and buy some popcorn. That would be very cool of you. you. Don't forget that you uh, can... Subscribe to our Patreon. We have three different tiers, and on our Patreon, we you can have access to our exclusive episodes that get really niche and weird. Uh, we have an episode about Shrek. We have series about the acting career of Tony Collette that has spanned so many episodes. I, I can't believe they were still doing it. 
and uh, yeah, so we got some really cool stuff over there. So please, uh, if you're if you like what you're listening to now and you want to hear even more voices uh, in the Story Screen family talk about more stuff, please go check that out. But that is all I got for today. Thank you again. Peace out. Bye bye. Thank you.